Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was just unabashedly curious about everything. And when kids were outside and they started dating early on as we got older, I was in my room raising brine shrimp to study how their morphology changed through the course of their life cycle, right? Girls were getting asked out to like little mini school dances and I was just there in the thick of it. And I I love to learn. I was fascinated with the intricacies of the world and would look at rocks and look at things and examine them outside and a new taxonomy of dinosaurs. And so that, that was really, I think the origin is just being super curious about everything. And science is absolutely for the curious at heart. If there was ever a realm for it, it's science. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up as he often does. I'm going to warn you right now, listeners, get a cup of coffee, sit down. In the five-minute pre-talk that Leah and I've had, this is going to be a fun one. (laughs) <laughs> Leah Elson, welcome to Set Lusting Bruce. I hope you're having a good night. Oh, Jesse, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, tell us a little about yourself. I am a clinical development scientist. I'm a nonfiction author, and I'm also a public science communicator. That is a very succinct uh, elevator pitch. Thank you. <laughs> I hit mute to sip a cup of coffee, and you're like, yep, yep, got, yep, what, there- what else you got, Jesse? Yep, it's- I'm ready. It's eloquent in its brevity. What yeah. can I say? <laughs> I think that is perfect. I they're often the talk about, and I have I have a friend of mine who does has done comic books, and I, I've been at his table often to just keep him company, and like he's got his pitch down for his the comic his comic, and it's reached the point where if he's off, I can do the pitch, right? <laughs> I do so like really, I like no, I don't write the book. I'm just the guy hanging out with my friend. I've just heard uh, this 50,000 yeah, times. Yes. That I can tell you. <laughs> uh, always, I, there's a lot of questions about you that I want to go into, but I only want to start at the beginning. So talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to? Of course. So I hail from sunny Southern California. 
And I, most of my life was spent in and around the San Diego area. And growing up, my parents, they really, we had a very rich household full of music. My parents are split up, but both households very much like music. A lot of classic rock. We did a lot of disco era type stuff with my dad. I have very fond memories of car trips singing disco hits. Two CD set, the greatest hits of the <laughs> 60s, 70s. I love 80s. it. We did a lot of Clapton. We liked a lot of Hendrix in our household. But I was talking about this the other day. I think that we currently live in an era where I just don't know who the artists would be that would withstand the test of those decades, right? Because this is music that obviously was just before my generation, but I know every lyric to all of these songs, et cetera. And I just don't think any of any contemporary artists are going to withstand that test of time. Yeah, I, that's a good question. And I'm sure that I have a one of our I've had a guest on that's doing Tay to Z, a Taylor Swift podcast, her and her husband do. Yes, that's a great title. <laughs> and I'm sure she would make the argument that Taylor Swift will stand the test of time. And I have no doubt of that. But the other thing that hurts us is we are so diverse now. We are diverse politically. Mm-hmm. We are diverse socially. And we are diverse entertainment wise if now i don't what era are you talking about when you're in the car with your parents what time frame this we're talking early 90s very back when i can remember is probably late 80s early 90s sure right because you have to be very careful you don't ask a a, a woman her age of Um, course thank you yeah so i graduated (laughs) high school in 77 so i am older than dirt and (laughs) i grew up with an am radio that was an am clock radio next to my bed and the beauty of AM radio, because we didn't listen to FM Leah, because that's what the druggies listened to. Oh, of course. You right. Can't. You I could never listen to FM radio. Absolutely not. <laughs> I was a good Southern Baptist kid. And but the diversity of music that I heard, you could hear country, you could hear rhythm and blues, you could hear soul, you could hear pop, you could hear rock. And I love the fact that if I feel like listening to Bruce Springsteen, Sirius XM has E Street Radio. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If I feel like listening to Pearl Jam, there is a Pearl Jam channel, 24 hours, seven days a week. If I want to hear 70s soul music, there is a 70s channel, right? And there is no, and in fact, little Steven said that there should be a channel for Sirius, that's everything. Like when you put that all 80, 90 of their music channels, just random one song after shuffle shuffle it. (laughs) And you may get opera and then you may get this deep blues and then you may get Korean pop. And I'm like, that would be a fun channel to listen to on a road trip. I would listen to it because my taste in music is eclectic like that. And I think it's because when you grow up with the radio, you hear a lot of it. I listen to anything from like Rachmaninoff and classical to classic rock to K-pop to death metal. I listen to all of it. I sample all of it. So I often switch this cha- this question around if I have writers on the podcast, but I'm going to ask it in a different way for you. Were you raised in a home where science was a big deal? Because no, okay. not at all. I, okay. I don't even, I have nary a scientist in my family. I was okay. the black sheep. Okay. 
<laughs> so I uh, I was at lunch, if, a dinner, I guess, a few years ago with my niece. And her older brother at the time was in a, a heavy metal band dating a circus performer. Wow. Her younger brother was dropped out of school to hike the Appalachian Trail. Very cool. And her younger sister graduated and then moved to North Carolina and joined a commune. Oh, my goodness. And my niece went to law school and actually became an attorney. She goes, <laughs> I'm the black sheep of the family. Reverse, it's not Uno <laughs> reverse card, you know what I mean? Yeah, she's, I'm the one that, like, yeah, we just don't want to talk about Laura. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, like, she went to, she's actually, she went to school and she's actually using her degree for what yeah. she got on. Absurd. <laughs> right? Absurdity. <laughs> Were your family big readers? Not especially. I have a bookshelf not behind me currently, but I have about 60 square feet of books in, in my home. And my parents, they had the odd book here and there, but not especially, I would say, avid readers by any stretch. No, I, that was also me. I poured myself into books. I loved literature. Any early people you remember, books you loved reading? Was it fiction, nonfiction, or a little bit of everything? So I think I, I was a sampler, but my, my favorite book, much to the chagrin of my teachers, I was, I think nine when I picked it up was Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. So I went hard with depressing Russian literature at nine years old. And so that's what I started with. And as I've evolved and gotten older, I've, and of course, as a scientist, I've steered more into nonfiction, but I picked up a fiction book for the first time the other day. And you know what? I loved it. It was delightful. So. Oh, what were you, what are you reading? I was reading Under the Whispering Door. Okay. And it, it contends a lot with death in the afterlife and, and things like that. And it was, it was so delightful. TJ Klune is the author of that. And I, I loved it. And I was like, you know what? Fiction's actually pretty cool. That's good. Where did this... Give me your origin story. How did you end up finding your path to science? I was always... I was the Y kid, right? I was just unabashedly curious about everything. And when kids were outside and they started dating early on, as we got older, I was in my room raising brine shrimp to study how their morphology changed to the course of their life cycle, right? Girls were getting asked out to like little mini school dances. And I was just there in the thick of it. And I, I love to learn. I was fascinated with the intricacies of the world and would look at rocks and look at things and examine them outside and a new taxonomy of dinosaurs. And so that, that was really, I think the origin is just being super curious about everything. And science is absolutely for the curious at heart. If there was ever a realm for it, it's science. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So were you academically strong in high school? I was. I was academically so strong that my citizenship was dismal. I got the brilliant student, but talks way too much in class. (laughs) Yeah, I was, I had a great aptitude academically and for science as well. I've also always been drawn to the written word. I was a bit awkward, I think, growing up for much of my life. And a lot of escapism was found in books and I would just chew through books like a book a day. And, and so that's, has bred this now like science loving book writing human that you see before you. So as you're going through school, what, and you've had this great background of music on both families, what, where was your musical taste when you were in high school and then college? I think so much of musical taste when you're at that age is regional. I do think when I, being from Southern California, I listened to a lot of like sublime, a lot of Pearl Jam, things like a kind of surfer coastal vibe, I would say. And so my taste was alternative rock, I would say growing up as well as the classics. I had a huge love for the classics and that was where it began. And then of course, like classical and all of the other intricacies came about like when I found other spheres of influence, like people, people in college, you have all these people from all walks of life from all over the country or in from other countries and they bring you their taste. I think music sharing, the sharing of music is a very intimate thing. Absolutely. So obviously you will know you wanted to go to college. What, where did you know you wanted to study science? So I didn't know actually in college that I wanted to go into the hard sciences. I actually, of all things, I was an athlete growing up as well as a raging dork. But uh, so I started sports casting early on in my college career. And there came a point in which my dad became chronically ill and I was shooting live on the sidelines and my production team is counting me down three, two, one. There's all these incandescent lights in my face. And as we go live, there was this moment where I had the microphone in my hand and I was thinking, what am I doing here with my life? I could be serving the greater good in a better capacity. So I quit the next week and did some soul searching and retapped into my passion for the sciences. And so Then from there, I had already almost graduated at San Diego State on this sort of journalistic route. And I applied across the country for, hey, let me dive back into the sciences. And Harvard accepted me. And I was like, you're not going to get accepted to Harvard and not go to Harvard. So that's where I started my scientific journey at its baseline, really, you could say. Yeah. By the way, congratulations. If I had been asked to go to Harvard, I would not have been 16, 20 minutes into the podcast without bringing that up. (laughs) Just telling you that, by the way, 
It's like being <laughs> vegan or something. Like, yeah. how do you know if someone's a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't worry, we'll tell you that we went to Harvard. <laughs> so I, what I think is amazing is I did not know this story. You and I had connected through, a, through there is a connection service and you said, thought it sounded funny. But I was telling you before we hit record that I was just talking to someone who went to school to be a marine biologist and she quit to do music and you're just like yeah and I'm like oh of course because she went to school to be a sports <laughs> reporter and ended up being a scientist in things I can't p- pronounce yeah so, I, yeah that's no big deal to you I get it I get the flip-flop and I'm a huge proponent of people pivoting, doing hard pivots in their life, because that's such a scary thing. You're raised to believe that you pick a path and that's what you do. But if you're unhappy, pivot, it's okay. I've done it a couple of times. Yeah, I think that's great. Why? Okay. So why did you decide, and I, your term was hard science, but why did you pick that? And what about you decided you wanted to do that in academics? That's an interesting question because people always ask me if you weren't doing, uh, currently for the listeners out there, I conduct in present day upstream medical research. So I specialize in nerve repair and regeneration in that space. So I'm doing upstream human medical research. And everybody asked me, oh, if you could do it over again, what would you do? And that answer changes pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. Astrophysics, yes, absolutely. Marine biology, yes, of course. I love all of it. But I think human medicine to me, there was that intimate connection watching my dad go through hell and back with a battery of chronic conditions. He had cancer, things like that. And I just thought one of the things I'd always wanted is I wanted to impact human life in some capacity. And because I had an aptitude for science, I was like, here's a really great way to do that. And so I actually went to part of the way through medical school. And then I was like, you know what? I could affect... 12 patients, maybe if I'm hustling a day, or I can go into research where I can possibly invent something or innovate or help develop and affect thousands and thousands of patients for the course of my life. And so that was always my goal is impact the maximal amount of human life possible. So you get to go to Harvard. Yay, you. I um, went to Harvard. <laughs> yes. Very congratulations. What the talk to me through, and I love the idea because you hear stories of people who have a loved one that face a chronic illness, be it leukemia, cancer, whatever you want. And that's why I became a doctor. That's why I became a caretaker. I love the idea that you said, yes, I can help people, but because of my knack, I can help more people by doing this. It, can you expand a little bit more on that, Leah? Sure. I think it's, I think that everybody has innate talents and sometimes we downplay them. It could be anything. Maybe you're really good at talking to people. Maybe you're really good at art something, whatever your unique talent is, it can be used to serve a greater good, whether you are putting your own story of struggle out there and people relate to it. And that gives them hope. And that gives them an impetus to continue forward, whatever that is. Mine just happened to be a scientific aptitude. And because I'm so curious, I do very well in research. And specifically as a clinical development scientist, my job is to be sort of a science MacGyver, right? So my job is to look for marginalized patient groups that when they have a nerve injury, their outcomes are not really great post-surgically. Like they're not getting function of their limbs back or they can't feel their sensation is very poor. And so my job is to say, okay, cool. Let's think tank this with the surgeons treating them. 
what are the anatomic challenges? What are the physiologic challenges? And then how can we intervene in a way that gets these patients back on their feet, metaphorically and physically? And because I'm good at that and I'm, and it began back, right. My origin story, the why kid, why is this happening? Why is the, what is this doing? And so I get to put that together and use those talents for that purpose. And it doesn't have to be science in nature though. If anybody's listening to this and you're like, well, I'm really good at making homemade pasta. That's awesome. Start a YouTube channel, teach people. You never know who you can affect. So, So you've got a background in journalism. You're absolutely not shy. (laughs) And so did, as you were developing your academic and you joined to the real world, did, was this something that you knew you'd be good at it? Or is this something that you started realizing Mm -hmm. that I want to be a spokesperson or I want to be more, I want to get word out to people about these things that we're studying? it was it, science communication. I've been doing this now for six years, liaisoning with the public and being an intermediary and helping to demystify the sciences. That's been my job for six years. And it wasn't something that I ever planned. I wasn't like, I'm going to set out on this journey and I'm going to be a science communicator. It really started where I was just doing more and more dangerous chemical explosions on Facebook live for the amusement of my friends. <laughs> really, okay. really. I have a private profile and they were like, you should take this public. This is awesome. You're like Bill Nye. And uh, at one point I, I replicated a dual phase rocket engine in my bathroom and torched a shower curtain to absolute ashes. And I was like, you know what, maybe this is, I could do this in a less flammable capacity indoors. And so I started this science communication and I never set out saying, I'm going to do science communication. I just, it was something that was fun for me. It's explain things to people scientifically. And then I quickly garnered a following, a cult following, and people would start requesting that I explain things, whether they were phenomena in the news or whether it was, why is the sky blue? What's dark matter? What have you? And so just this massive influx of questions coming to me from the public then launched that career organically. And I just started doing it regularly and my following just kept building. The, we put people in boxes all the time. And I think one of the things that is you do not look, quote unquote, as a scientist. And I'm trying to be very careful here because I don't want to seem, I don't want to insult you or be insulting to our listeners, right? You've got tattoos, you are, you are flamboyant, you are bubbly, you are amazing, and Yet at the same time, you are sharing some really important things. I think that's a great package. That combination of that helps to, it gets people listening and then you have something to say. Am I oversimplifying it? No, I think it's super important as a representation in the sciences, because even as a child, if you had asked me, what does a scientist look like to describe it? I would have described an old white guy in a white coat. Absolutely. And so I think for the early part of my career, I've been a researcher for 15 years now, the very early part of my career, I did try to conform to that box, right? I did try to be very buttoned up and very introspective and and be very professional in that capacity. But I have really found that I've blossomed in my own as a scientist by embracing who I am and the unique qualities that makes me, right? You identified my full sleeve of tattoos, et cetera. And I brandish it on podium because one, it's important for representation, but two, if you can't 
champion your own individuality, what people don't realize is it takes a lot of creativity to be a really great scientist. And so if you are allowed to blossom and flourish in your own space, you think more creatively, right? You're more open, you're, you collaborate better. And so I found that my best work is done now as a champion of myself. And I tell everybody out there, if you are in a marginalized group in a STEM field, only 30% of researchers around the world are women, you, whether or not you're an ethnic minority, et cetera, whatever group you're in, I always say, just be visible. It's super important because there are people looking up to you. So the a very true joke is what do you call two white guys talking a podcast? <laughs> and I realized at the end of 2021 that if I wasn't careful, I would have a podcast filled with a bunch of old white guys talking music. Sure. And I am an old white guy. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. And there is an open seat for open white guys on this <laughs> or on this podcast. But I specifically reached out in my social media and said, I'm looking for diversity. That's awesome. I am looking for people of color. I am looking for people under 25. I am looking for general neutral or female or non-binary. I want, you don't have to be a Bruce fan. And I have been lucky enough. In fact, I had a wonderful episode where I had three young women all under 22 that are massive Bruce fans. Amazing. That just, they talked about. And so I've tried to do that diversity because representation is so important. It's Pride Month as we're recording this, and I have gotten off on a few tangents with guests about why are people that are so different being so, there's so much anger toward them. Why do we not want to be respectful of people that are different than us? Yeah. And I don't really have a question there, Leah, but I just was sharing a little bit of my journey. And if you have any thoughts, please speak up. No, I'm I'm a big socially bleeding heart liberal person being crunchy surfer yes. California girl. That's a pretty, yeah. I'm covered in tattoos. That's a pretty easy peg on yeah. my part. And I think that there's always, there's fear of otherness, right? There's yeah. social fear of otherness. And I think that so much of the anger is not necessarily anger, but it's just an unknown. And I find that people that let's take non-binary, for instance, people that rally against that, you're like, have you ever met a non-binary person? Have you ever sat down and talked to them? And 10 times out of 10 times, it's always no, you know what I mean? And I think that Unfortunately, social media as a construct, it has opened us up to this wide world of being able to communicate with so many different kinds of people, which should bring us together. But what it has done is siloed a lot of us as well. So people who stay to very rigid brackets, that doesn't necessarily mean conservative or liberal. It could mean both, but they stay very rigid in their beliefs. And it's, it's like an echo chamber. They say things and vitriol that makes them feel good to the people that will say it back to them. And we don't grow as people. So it's very important for us to break those silos. And I think the anger is just a lot of unknown and a lot of non-communication between these groups. And that's why I think that things like people are like, oh, why don't we have straight pride parades? And I'm like, 
you do, you can just organize it, just organize it. It's fine. But I think the parades are good because it gets it out in the open and it gives more opportunity for that group to be seen by the community and for those sorts of discourse to begin to take place. And I think a lot of the vitriol and hatred, we see a lot of it bolstered in the media, right? People want to show like the nasty side of these parades, but I think by and large, people are becoming more accepting as time goes on, thankfully. So you have a book coming out. I do. And tell me about it. So the book is called There Are No Stupid Questions in Science. And this is a book that was written and illustrated for the purpose of reconnecting adults to their childlike whimsy for the world around them. And it was inspired by the fact, as I said earlier, I field questions from the public, from people all over the world, asking me to explain scientific phenomena to them. And I have such a massive repository of questions that go unanswered because there's just not enough time in the day. I have a day job. So I was in the car one day on my way to work. I was working at the cancer center at Cleveland Clinic. And I remember thinking, man, you know, what would be funny is if somebody took all these questions and they did this kind of wry, bizarre, kind of sarcastic explanations, but like very accurate. And, uh, and that would be really great. Somebody should write that book. And then in the same thought, I was like, I should write that book. And so I did. And I illustrated it in crayon to pay homage to the childlike nature of the questions. And it is this delightfully bizarre piece. There's a little bit of profanity. It's definitely for adults, but 103 questions that I answer in space, physics, chemistry, biology, and human medicine. When's it going to be out? This is going to be released in just like a, two weeks or so is on June 27th is the big day. All right. Through the magic of timey-wimey, because I'm also a Doctor Who fan. We're going to um, time travel here. <laughs> yes. Today is June 27th. Yay! And this book is out. So <laughs> go to wherever you find your, you get your books and check it out. Yes. Um, we're available everywhere. Yes. Why did you decide to illustrate it yourself? Because I thought that it would be funny because I'm, we talked about this before we started recording. I'm recklessly spontaneous. And I was like, you know what we, it yeah. would be funny is if I drew like really bizarre, like Ralph Steadman, like crayon drawings. Right. And, and I just thought that it would be a great accompaniment because so, the problem with science and why people turn their back to it, I think is because it is dense and it is intimidating. And one of the major focuses of this book was also to reconnect people with science because there has been this sort of division between the scientists and the public. And so I wanted to make it less scary. Let's make it fun. Let's make it sarcastic. It's easy to understand. It can be digestible with the right person in front of you. There's that wonderful short films, commercials that show a young, a young girl loving science and they keep being pushed. No. And your brother is that. And then they show, which is heartbreaking. There's a science thing there's a, and she's putting on her lip gloss, just Aww. ignoring it. And so I think that's good. I think one of my favorite lines in is from Philadelphia when the great Denzel Washington says, explain it to me like I'm a seven-year-old when the legal battle. And I think there is that because we get tired head is one of my favorite phrases, right? Okay, you're starting to, and now I have tired head and I just, magic. How did this exactly. happen? It's magic. <laughs> uh, and so I think anything that does that, 
I also, by the way, I told you I lived in Texas. I am a I am a very lonely blueberry in a very strawberry state. Sure. Uh, my wife and I go. <laughs> why? My wife all the times. Why? As she's watching MSNBC, why do we live in Texas? And I said because <laughs> that's where the gigs are. Yeah, um, of course. But we want, as a society, we are quick to not want to believe the science and then also turn on the science because something changed mm -hmm. versus the old idea, I did what I did. And when I knew better, I did better. Exactly. Like we made the best decision at the time. And I'll get off my soapbox in just a minute. But I think my wife and I have been married 39 years as of June. Congratulations. So, and I think one of the things that has helped us besides her incredible patience of me <laughs> being obsessed with Bruce Springsteen and other things <laughs> is that we decided very early in our marriage that we would not say, I told you mm. that if you were making a decision as a couple, you couldn't say, I knew we shouldn't have bought that car. Now we're mm -hmm. having trouble making the payment. I knew we shouldn't have done it. Or I knew you shouldn't have done that. And nope. The time to say that statement was before we made the decision. Sure. That's right? great advice. Yeah. Now then afterwards, the fact you, we can say, knowing what we know now, we probably shouldn't have done that. Right. But at the time we didn't know this. And I'm, I get frustrated with people and we'll keep it very simple. <clears throat> They told us masks didn't help. Now they're telling us masks do help. Now they're telling, okay, you know what? We're, we are investigating this and doing the best we can. And we are, no one is making a decision to personally make your life unhappy. Exactly. <laughs> this is, we're just doing the best we can. What do you find are some of the most misconceptions about science? Put you on the, the spot there, Leah. <laughs> no, no. I love these questions. One of the biggest misconceptions is that I think people, they give themselves, they set themselves up for failure in what you were saying, and they hold science in a light in which they canonize it, right? As if every discovery is the discovery and that's the way that it will stay. And that's static, that science is giving you factual answers that will remain static throughout time. But the beauty of science is that it is dynamic and it is meant to be. It is a constantly evolving repository of human information that builds upon itself. So something like chemotherapy, for instance, that was the best shot that we had, but chemotherapy destroys every cell that divides in your body and it is toxic. It's poisoning the entire body at large to kill a tumor. And now here we are decades later and we have better gold standards. We have more targeted therapies. It's because we have built upon that. And if we had maintained the course, oh yeah, chemotherapy is just the way we're going to, it's just the way we're going to do. We would lose so many patients every single year, but it's because we were able to pivot and shift and admit, Hey, this is not the best. And you want science to do that. You want to continue to grow. You want to challenge where science is not dogma, right? Science is not afraid to challenge itself. And that's the beauty of it. That's why all of the scientists in our community at large, we put our publications out there so other scientists can read it critically. And we put our methodology for our own research out into the world so people can see if they can replicate it and if they get different results. And we come to the table and we talk about it and we move forward as a as species to get better. And so I think that's the biggest misconception about science is that it's meant to remain static and we have all the answers. But 
scientists are human beings. We are subject to the limitations of what we know at the time. And human beings also make errors and that's okay. That's okay. As long as you admit that and you build upon it. I, I love that. Science is not dogma. It is in that that's wonderful. I also, I want to go back to you writing the book. In 2015, I had been podcasting. I had done a Doctor Who podcast. I'd done a couple other TV review podcasts. And the Adam Carolla's wife, Lynette, had done a few episodes of a podcast where she talked to friends of hers that were Bruce Springsteen fans. And she interviewed them. And it wasn't about their lies. It was just their fandom. And she quit doing them. And I said, God, I want more of those. And in the spirit of lighting a candle or cursing the darkness, you know what? I'll start a podcast. Do it. <laughs> and yeah, just do it. Pivot, pivot. And I love the idea of, well, why not me? You're saying that this would be a good idea. You obviously are a good communicator. You have a sense of play. And so I'm looking forward to the book. I think this will be a lot of fun. What question do you get asked the most that you're tired of answering? Oh, that's a good one. It's funny. You would think that there would be a replication, but the questions I get are so out of pocket. Some of them are so bizarre. Is there a misconception of science or you as a scientist that you roll your eyes at? One of the things that that is funny is that it's in a sort of light of canonizing science is, oh, like you should be more proper. I think you're a scientist. You should be more proper than that. Or I had, I actually had and had to check myself with a pang of guilt because there's a few instances that I thought were appropriate to take creative license and put profanity in my book. And I was like, oh my gosh, should I be doing this? Like I, I'm Ivy League educated. Should I be using profanity in my book? And so one of the misconceptions is that science, like scientists have like angel parts and we are you know, very, we are just non-sexual beings. We don't have a personal life. All we do is we're born with lab coats on. And that's very funny to me. Like for instance, I posted a picture of myself and I felt especially beautiful that day. And there was a man that came and was like, oh, I wonder if you're selling science or you sell. And I was like, Man, like I just posted a picture because I thought I looked good. This has nothing to do with science. Scientists are allowed. To, it's not mutually exclusive. Like the thing that yes. I, that I get a lot is, oh, you're pretty for a scientist. And I'm like, no, like it's what I do for work has no bearing on any These are not mutually exclusive traits. And so that's the, probably the biggest thing. <laughs> that I, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. You sure are a pretty thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, or like the shock and awe when I, I tell people like where I've gone to school, I've been to so many schools. I have so much student debt. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And pe people are like, oh, you went to Harvard? And I'm like, you don't need to act that shocked. Like, <laughs> you truly don't yeah. need to be that surprised. <laughs> so offensive. <laughs> yeah. It's like a backhanded compliment, but it's hilarious. Yes. Mm -hmm. You also do a podcast, correct? I do. I haven't recorded in a while, but I had a podcast, the string theory podcast, and it was along the same vein where we would unpack very heady topics. So we talked about like the force of gravity. What is gravity? We experience it every day, but nobody really knows how it works. Like no scientist could tell you how gravity works. We just know that it does and we can measure it. So we did a few episodes of that very limited, but it was one of those pivots. I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. Why not a science podcast? And it, it was you. so fun. It was so fun. So I had one of my best friends spent two tours in the Navy in a submarine. 
Oh, wow. And he actually was, this was back in the 80s during the height of the Cold War, where you'd spent 90 days underwater where no one heard from you. No one knew where you were. If if something bad happened at your home, you didn't hear about it. And then you spent 90 days at home. And then, so you're 90 on, not off. Mm. And the reason I'm bringing this up is no matter how well a movie is done, Hunt for Red October, Red Tide, he cannot watch it. Error, <laughs> error, mistake. That's not happening. No, that wouldn't. And he's totally out of the film. Yeah. So are are you able to turn off some things or other things you just have to roll your eyes? And with are you with your your partner at the cinema going yeah that can't happen <laughs> like, I, I definitely i see it it like makes my eye twitch i'm like oh my gosh that's not that's not accurate but i so what is funny is that i've become the, the walking human science google for everybody in my personal life okay so i'll yes. get calls i'll get texts like people put me on facetime be like my cousin just asked this question let him know <laughs> what it is so i'll sit there and explain science all the time and so now it, it's not even that I'll be in the cinema with a group of friends and I'll be like, guys, that's not accurate. It's that something will happen and everyone will turn and look at me for the, <laughs> for the yes or no. <laughs> so I'm thinking because you don't have enough to do, we should do Jesse and Leah break down what's inaccurate in these movies podcast what's about uh, oh my gosh i would love that <laughs> i think that's something that that definitely there's a huge market for is that people because i've been asked to do that people are like you should do a series where you debunk science in movies or popular media but i feel like people love it, a good debunk i love debunking it's yeah it's so fun yeah i think yeah that that could be fun let's um, do it we yeah. have to make the title like something Bruce Springsteen and science. So it's like Springsteen science because they're, yeah. I like alliteration. So yes. we got to work, work on this. On that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. So instead of blinded by the light, we've got blinded by science. So there we yeah, go. Should, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Good. Done. Um, so what's next for you? You're promoting the book. What's next for you? What do you want to do next? Everything. <laughs> okay. My, my biggest thing that drives me are, are is the feedback that I get from the people that that watch the followers etc and I just want to continue to take science communication public and make it larger and bigger and better so I'm I already have about 12 literally 12 other book ideas I'm writing book number 2 currently and I'm not abject to I've tossed around some ideas production making it bigger doing possibly something series television series related is because the problem is science has such a bad PR issue right now. Science is getting a terrible rap. And there was a time in US history in the 60s during the space race where an entire country rallied around its scientists. And we've lost touch with that. And unfortunately, in an era of science and technology, you have a voting populace that is science illiterate. And so I consider it to be a civic duty to take it as, as big as I can, not for... I've always said not for like fame or notoriety on my part, but just to educate the masses and get them back in touch because it is incredibly important for so many reasons. Yeah, I remember this was years ago, but someone, I read somewhere about The Martian, the book, and someone said, oh, this was originally, and it became a success. And so I picked it up 
for the, on my Kindle and was amazed at how good of a book it was, how book it was. And the, wow, it was such a great story. And of course, me being a kid of the seventies, I remember the moon landing in 69. I remember I had all the Apollo models and put together. Mm -hmm. And anytime you watch those period movies where there's all these engineers, there's all these scientists that are working to do something and to accomplish something. And it now is, there is that lack of trust and the mm -hmm. lack of respect. And, and I think that's a, I think that's a worthy campaign to be on, Leah. I think that's important and uh, I'm glad you're doing it. And I'm glad you're doing it with a sense of humor and I love the fact you may have thrown in a couple of curse words in the book. <laughs> You've got, if you're not, if you're not swearing when you're performing science, then you're doing it wrong. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Put yeah. it in the book as well. <laughs> to bring it back to music, just for a few moments, at least in your email to me, you said you have a wide diversity and we've covered a little bit at, but are there certain either artists or albums or even songs that stay in rotation in your life that either provide you relief, provide you comfort, bring you joy. I, this is very, I would call it like a periodicity thing, right? Where there, there are things that will always be on my roster, but there are things where through large spans of time, they're always on repeat daily. I think recently I've been listening to a lot of sleep token, which is progressive metal. And I think a lot of people have this misconception of metal. It sounds like they're like, oh, you just throw nuts and bolts in a blender, you know, yeah. put some like bass track to it and you're good, which some of it does sound like that. I won't deny it, but progressive metal is very beautiful because it is very melodic. It is very symphonic. And a lot of progressive metal lyrics are also very abstract and poetic. And so Sleep Token has been really, and they have, they just sold out Wembley Stadium. I, and I wanted to go and see them live. They're from the UK and they were traveling to the US. And like within three minutes, all of their tickets sold out for North America. And it was so tragic. I was like, no, I've been listening to a lot of that lately. And I think a lot of it is in a creative space, finding something that kind of gets you in a deeper line of thinking, especially with the second book. That book is a bit more investigative journalism. That one's a bit more, a bit headier than the first one. And so I like listening to abstract, melodic, darker music. And that's been on rotation for the creative process. I like that. That's very nice. Sleep token. Okay. Sleep token. Yeah. I made a note. I will have to check it out. You know what? I, I feel like even if you're not, you seem like you have an eclectic taste, but if you're not classically a metal fan, sleep token is yeah. beautiful. Uh, okay. It's awesome. And very you, good. their stage presence is also very cool. They're one of those bands that's masked. So nobody knows any of the identities of any of the band members. Okay. Very so, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What have I not asked you that I should have Leah? I would say, Something that I would just like to plug is yes. uh, scientists, please join me in the fight. Put your gloves on. The mission to reconnect people with science and get people excited and more importantly, get people literate is a very important one. There are a lot of things that are integral to just human existence and wellness for your families, your communities, et cetera, that are up for voting purposes, environmental policy, et cetera. And if you, if we can't help the public understand the underpinnings of why this is important. 
all of this will will fail. And we already know the trajectory we're going down with global warming, et cetera, being unchecked. And so it's really important. So if you are a person who is a scientist, you're like, I want to know what I can do to make a difference. Public science communication is really incredibly important. It's more important than you you might realize. So join me in the fight, fellow scientists, if you're out there. I love that. The other thing I remember before President Trump was elected, Penn Jillette was, he does a podcast and he's, I love him and Teller and I love Penn, Penn's podcast. And he talked about that we used to want our politicians to be smarter than us. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, it, being intellectual was something we admired. We looked and up now, to it, yeah. Yeah, we looked up to it. Now then we wanted to Spain. I, I want to have, I want the guy that I can have a beer with. And I'm like, no, you want you someone don't. that's smarter. You, I want someone smarter than me to work this out. And I get very frustrated with the, and you pick whatever political football you want to discuss. And I will say, I don't have the answers, but I know there are smarter people than me that if we would get them in a room and actually work toward a solution, that we won't make everyone happy, but we could come up with a goal. Yeah, That's what we do in business all the time. I need to solve this business problem. And you can't magically, technology will not fix it. You've got to look at processes. You've got to look at what you're doing. You've got to look at the people and you've got to come up with a plan. And I often use the scientific method when I'm discussing with my team. I said, in a perfect world, We would try something, measure it, go back, do it again the old way, measure Mm -hmm. it. And we try something else, measure it. I said, we're not. We're going to try five things that we think are going to fix it. And will we know which of the five things helped it? Maybe not. But the bottom line is we know we fixed the problem. And I just think that I, I think this is a good mission. I appreciate you doing that and calling on it. And I think there is a problem with funding not only arts in school science in school i'm in texas where i love texas football as much as anyone but you look at the you look at the rinky dink labs that you've got in a high school (laughs) or college and you look at the the workout facility for the team and you go this isn't right what are we prioritizing what are we prioritizing yeah all right Plug the book again, Leah. The book is There Are No Stupid Questions in Science, and it's out today by the magic of podcast time. Yes. <laughs> and it is available anywhere books are sold. That's Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Target. I am the narrator for the audiobook version as well. So if you're not a reader, but you're a listener, you can find it on Audible as well and all of your favorite streaming platforms. And uh, plug your website. The website, very easy, leahelson.com. And you can find me... You can find my social media through there, but you can also Google me, Leah Elson. I'm the first hit and I'm indexed on there with all of my social media, TikTok, Instagram, et cetera. You can come and check out my science communication, see what we're talking about. Yeah, you can. She has a blog, has a links to the Biddy podcast she's on. Hopefully she's going to include this one. There is a way where you can sign up for her mailing list. And there is a ask me a science question of click that you could go tell me. Yes, that sounds wonderful. (laughs) Leah, I usually pride myself on 
when I do my interviews, especially lately, I've been having a lot of wonderful guests that after we stop recording, say, I'm always having to talk IT structure, or I'm always having to talk business planning. And it was so much fun to just be on your podcast and talk about Van Morrison or to talk <laughs> about the Stones. I apologize I did not give you a break from discussing your subject. But you know what? I live and breathe science, so I am happy to do it any anytime and always. <laughs> I have had just a wonderful time talking to you. You are just a joy to visit with, and I do appreciate your time. But before I get you out of here, I got to ask the Mary question. Ooh. If you are a fan of Leah's and you are listening to this podcast because you follow her mailing list or you follow her on social medias and you stumbled onto this, thank you for listening. She made you very proud. <laughs> Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher that has now retired. But when he was teaching, he would take the Bruce Springsteen song, Thunder Road, would print out the lyrics, would give it to all the students, and they would treat it as if it was a poem. Compare it to like Robert Frost, they would look at the lyric choices, took the imagery that Bruce was portraying, and then at the end of the two days, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? So Leah, that is your question. You've put it to the scientific method. You've gone to your laboratory and what is your answer to this Mary get in the car? Listen, we've crunched the numbers. I don't think she gets in the car. Okay. I don't think she does. Now, the reason is because the piece at large is describing this town that she's in, the state that she's in. And really, it's painting a picture of, I would say, the status quo, right? Where you're getting a very status quo kind of vibe. And he's offering her this chance to sort of, hey, you know what? I'm going to take you as you are. Let's go. Like she's, she may be lusting for this life that she could have had, her youth. And I think that she, I think she falls into the trap that so many of us do, which is this is where I'm at. It's hard to pivot, right? We talked about pivoting it is incredibly difficult to pivot, especially if Mary's situation, it doesn't sound like she may be altogether super financially independent. So I think that there's a good chance that this will be a Greek tragedy where it ends in her saying, no, I'm just going to stay and I'm going to stick with the status quo. That's the feeling that I get when I read it. I think that is an excellent answer to give you a little bit behind the scenes. About 60% of my guests say yes, she gets in the car. Really? About 40% say no. Those 60% uh, are very whimsical and very optimistic. <laughs> yes. I get the range. Of course, it's Bruce Springsteen. Of course I get in the car. Then I get the, hell no, she called me ugly because of the lines, oh, you ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. But you're all right. F no, I'm not getting the car with that SOB. Yeah. Some of my favorite is, and this one recently, a guy named Warren Zanes just wrote a beautiful book uh, covering the Bruce Springsteen delivery from nowhere, the making of Bruce Springsteen, Nebraska. Fascinating book. And, and it's almost a mystery novel of why Bruce Springsteen at this point in his career, he had just had The River. They had a top 10 hit, Hungry Heart. Mm -hmm. And as Steven said, Getting us on the radio means women came to our concerts. <laughs> we were bigger. And then 
in 84, he puts out Born in the USA and becomes a superstar. Massive. But in 82, he puts out Nebraska, which is an acoustical. I don't know if you know the story, but this is not myth. He was recording demos on a little cape tape cassette, and he ended up putting out the demos with the agreement that he would not do press, he would not do tour, he's just releasing the music out. And Warren's book is, why did he do that? And it's a fascinating book, but Warren's answer is that no, Mary doesn't get in the car because he never asked her. Oh, He said, this is, he says, just Mary Johnson I asked Mary Johnson out hundreds of times in my imagination in high school, but I never had the courage to go to her. Yeah. said, yeah, this guy never is going to have the courage to go to ask Mary to get in. But wow. in his mind, he does. And yeah. I love that answer. I, I love, love that. Yeah, I love I that lo- answer. I love that because now with that line of thinking, I can see how the entire narrative is him thinking about this and the possibility, but just yeah. never acting on it. I love that. Yeah. Jay, who is the originator of this question, I always give him credit. He gave an answer very close to yours. He said, no, because she's afraid. You have to make a choice. Yep. There in any time you make a choice, you are giving up something. If you choose to diet, you're giving up eating some of the food you may love. If you if you choose this, you're giving up that. And he's his belief is that Mary, when she gets to it, she's too afraid. I don't want to give up what I have, and I may not like what I have, but it's mine, and it's here, and it's I know this to say yes to the unknown. Yeah. Which could be better, but it could be worse. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the it's, unknown. Yeah, I, I like that answer. What did What do you think? So I was raised on Walt Disney movies. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. (laughs) I believe she gets in the car. Okay. I do not know if it's a 100% happy relationship. Okay. But I I think that, that, and my wife hates, she says, no, it's, he says she's ugly. He's saying settle. But I think they are, I believe they are two lonely people. That he is saying, I may not be a champion and you may not be the beauty queen. And in my mind, she's always running down her looks. She is always saying, oh, no, no one want me. And that's when he says, look, you ain't no beauty, but you're all right. And I think that they find a way to fit. Yeah, That they are there for each other. And that is partly because being married almost 40 years and going through that, the journey of that, that's what I like to believe. Sure. I like that answer a lot. Yeah. There is the other one that made me, and you have to be a Bruce Springsteen fan to appreciate this, but there was a song he did on Western stars, which is called moonlight motel. And it, the basic, the premise is it there, the singer goes to, a rundown motel that now is just there's no water in the pool it's done and he talks about the times they spent together and the end of it he pours a three two shots of jack one for him and one on the ground a memory of the moonlight motel and the guy said absolutely mary gets in the car 
They move to California. They spend a life together. And now the guy is mourning her death. Oh, Oh, I love that. <laughs> I do too. So the beauty of, and as I, the beauty as you talked about, science is ever changing as we learn more. The merry question, it just all depends on what you're changing. And the beauty of it is, and I make sure everyone knows, there is no right answer. I was asked once, they said, if you had Bruce on there, would you quit asking the question? I go, no, Bruce doesn't know the answer. He knows No. what he thinks, Yeah. but no. Leah, I'd I've be kept, go I'd ahead. be interested to know what he says. I feel Yeah, like me too. I feel like he I feel like he's got a I bet he says no. I bet he's no because it's Yeah. the like longing, the Yeah. that like I said, the Greek tragedy, right? I think he says Absolutely. no. I think so. I've kept you way too long. I apologize. Thank you so much. This was so much fun for me. I can't wait for the book. I am going to purchase it and and I will share it on all our social media about it. I hope it is an incredible success for you. And I hope it makes a difference. I hope people pick it up. I get the idea. And there are no stupid questions in science is a beautiful title. And the reality is we should ask why more often. And we should ask why to our leaders and to the people that are around us. And so well done, Leah Elson. You're here. Thank you, sir. I enjoyed my time tonight greatly. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Go to the website, guys, leahepson.com. Check out the book. For me, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts. Perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page. and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 